Welcome to the pre-episode of the Christian Music Archive podcast. I'm your host, Dave Maurer, and I thought it would be a good idea if I shared a little bit about what this podcast is going to be about. First of all, I thought it might be interesting to give you a little background into who I am, as I think this speaks to why I'm starting the podcast. Hopefully, this will give prospective guests an opportunity to hear my heart and why I want to share your stories. For the listener, maybe you're asking, (laughs) why should I listen to this guy anyway? And for me, personally, it's going to be a great opportunity to practice what I hope will become a meaning exercise for all of us. So to get things started, I was born into a conservative Christian family. My parents were missionaries in South America. In fact, I was born in La Paz, Bolivia, and lived in a small city in Peru until I was about five. Then, my parents became pastors, and we lived in a couple of different cities in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, where they helped lead some very small congregations. I grew up knowing about Jesus and had what I call a genetic belief system. I believed that Jesus loved me because my parents said I should. I had experiences that would point to a loving God, but I didn't really understand what a personal relationship was all about. Music was introduced to me at a very early age. Of course, we sang hymns at church, and as a first grader, I was forced to take piano lessons. (laughs) Boy, did I hate those lessons. But my mom said that this was a must until sixth grade, at which time I would be able to decide if I would continue or not. I'm not sure if it was because I was a rebellious preacher's kid or just it wasn't really my gifting, but I longed to be free of those pesky practice times. In grade school, I was introduced to band and picked up the trumpet. Now, I loved playing the trumpet. And by fifth grade, I had somehow cajoled my parents into letting me quit piano as long as I promised to keep playing the trumpet. And I did. And I still do. I've been playing for over 40 years now. So, up until junior high, I thought music was hymns at church and maybe some of the pop and classical stuff that beginning bands would play. I knew there was other stuff out there, but we weren't allowed to listen to it at home. The records we had when I was growing up were classical stuff that my mom got with credits from buying encyclopedias or something. (laughs) However, somehow we did end up getting a B.J. Thomas record, and I think one from the Bill Gaither Trio. I'd listened to those, but it just really wasn't my thing. The church we went to was very, very small. In fact, I was the only junior high student, and my great-uncle Lawrence was my Sunday school teacher. Hopefully in the future, I can tell you about my Uncle Lawrence. He was one of the most influential people in my spiritual life, but that story is going to have to fill an episode of its own. Anyway, the Sunday school curriculum that my Uncle Lawrence used included a cassette tape one time that had a series of lessons about forgiveness, and one of the cassette tapes had a song from the Imperials. I'll never forget the first time I heard Russ Taff belt out the song, I'm Forgiven. My heart nearly stopped. Could this music really be Christian? I mean, it had a beat, and it had screaming vocals but the lyrics were worth singing about in church. It sure didn't sound like anything I had heard in church before. Well, since I was the only student in the class, I got to take that cassette home, and I think I wore that thing out. But I was hooked. I think it was a summer or two later that I started working at our church camp in McCall, Idaho. 
I lived in a cabin with my roommate, Pat. Now, you have to understand, this was really my first time away from home for longer than a week. So I was starting to grow into my own and was real impressionable. Now, Pat was this hippie kind of guy who was really laid back, and I thought he was really cool. But most importantly, he listened to a lot of cool music. I remember Keith Green's So You Want to Go Back to Egypt. He had Phil Kage's The Master and Musician. He had a bunch of stuff from Amy Grant. But what really got me hooked was Phil Kage's album Town to Town. This was edgy stuff, and I was loving it. I think I listened to all of Pat's music collection as often as I could, as many times as I could. I was in heaven. During that first summer on staff at church camp, my parents moved from eastern Oregon to the huge, bustling metropolis of Boise, Idaho. My dad was helping out at another church, so that's what took us there. But this opened a whole new world of music for me because this town had a radio station that played cool Christian music on the weekends. And pretty soon, I was exposed to a lot more artists, like Farrell and Farrell, Steve Camp, Kathy Tricoli, Michael W. Smith. I think I went out and bought my first stereo shortly after I won a free copy of Farrell and Farrell's Let the Whole World Know from the local Christian music station. Anytime I could, I had a, that record playing on my system. It was while I was in high school there in Boise that I somehow got a job at that very radio station, KSPD. I was a DJ helping play the music that I'd fallen in love with. I remember our station owner wouldn't let us play anything with a guitar solo in it, so our program director would edit out all those guitar licks so we could play some of that edgier songs on the radio. It was also in Boise that I found the Christian bookstore. I became a regular patron, going there as often as I could, and I'd listen to the sample cassettes and found more music that I could enjoy. Now, the guy who worked behind the counter started to pull music aside for me so that when I came in, he could let me listen to it. That's how I was introduced to Steve Taylor and his album, I Want to Be a Clone. And again, my mind was blown. This music was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And I think I wore that record out, too. <laughs> I also discovered Daryl Mansfield's Revelation at that bookstore. I picked up that copy because of the rebellious-looking artwork and I found out that Christian music could really rock. That's what got me hooked in rock music. So by the time I went to college, I had amassed a pretty decent-sized record collection, and my taste had grown to include DeGarmo and Key, Brian Duncan, the Youth Choir. <laughs> you get the idea. I liked it all. In college, I immediately got involved in the campus radio station, DJing, and eventually becoming the station director. Because this was a Christian school, we only played Christian music. We received a ton of demos from the record companies, and boy, I was getting exposed to all kinds of stuff. I graduated from George Fox College with a degree in video production, but my heart, my heart was really in music. And before long, I was managing a couple of local artists and promoting concerts. During the 1990s, I think I promoted concerts by just about every major CCM act of the day. Rick Kua, First Call, David Mullen, My Little Lefevre, Russ Taff, Audio Adrenaline, and DC Talk. I was in heaven. I promoted almost 50 shows, surrounded by music. A job in music. <laughs> Nothing could be better. 
The truth is, I was so invested in music at the time that I neglected to focus on my walk with Jesus. I was also seriously neglecting my new wife. I was so convinced that God had called me into the concert promotion business that I failed to see the financial ruin my obsession was taking. By the end of the 1990s, I lost it all. My wife divorced me. I had to close my business. I lost my house. I had to file bankruptcy. And all this led to a deep downward spiral away from God. I blamed him for all of the failures, and I just couldn't understand why he would abandon me when I was doing all this good work for him. As a much older and wiser person now, I look back and I see how God needed to take me to zero, to reduce me to nothing, in order for me to see how much I really needed him. But that didn't happen overnight. I felt alone and neglected. I didn't see a purpose for doing anything significant. But because of my religious upbringing, I was too chicken to end my own life because I was too scared of living eternity in hell. But because I was a divorced man now, the church I was attending told me that I couldn't be a part of all of the things that I was doing before. I had been on committees and I ran sound for the church. I was involved in a music group. But all of those things, I was told, couldn't happen anymore because of my situation, because of my life. And that made me even more mad. However, there were three people in the church, Josh, Pam, and Steve, who went out of their way to let me know that I was loved. Pam, she would seek me out on Sunday mornings to let me know she was praying for me. She would give me hugs, letting me know that there was someone who did care for me, not for my status or duties, but for me. Steve, he would invite me on water skiing trips and take me to concerts. He invested in me to help get my mind out of my situation. He never preached to me. He was just a friend. And then there's Josh. Josh was my best friend from college and continued to be my best friend. And he included me in all of his family's events, making me feel like I had a place of belonging. And he was always there with a listening ear to let me get my life off my chest. And then there was the Newberg Brass. This is the brass group that I've been a part of since its inception. The guys in that group treated me as if I was a human and didn't ostracize me for my situation in life. They listened when I vented. They distracted me when I was in bad places. And they accepted me as one of their own in spite of who I knew I was. My point in telling you about all this dark period in my life is to point out that even though I didn't see it at the time, I had a community of support. I began to heal because they allowed me to hurt. I started to see myself as more than a disgusting amoeba because they invested in me. And most importantly, they helped me see that I had value and worth in God's eyes. The healing not only affected my emotions and my mind, but also it began to affect my spirit. And for the first time in my life, I began to see who I was in Jesus' eyes. I started to realize that God loves me, period. Not because of my actions, not because of my talents, but just because he loves me. And over the course of the next several years, I began to grow in a relationship with Jesus because I believed him, not because my parents told me to. 
And not because it was the right thing to do, but just simply because Jesus loved me. Ever since that time, God has helped me rebuild my life. Now, don't get me wrong, I continue to make a bunch of stupid decisions. And if I told you all those stories, I can only imagine how fast you'd turn off this podcast. But that doesn't matter to me anymore. The truth of the situation is that God has continued to show me that he loves me and that he can use me. He helped me rebuild my life. He introduced me to an amazing woman who I eventually married, and she showed me what unconditional love really looks like. I was able to reconcile with my kids and have developed into a great relationship, in fact, a great friendship with both of them. God helped me find a new church where I am being fed spiritually and I'm growing every day. He has shown me how I can be involved in ministry in spite of my storied past. So, that's the story of how Christ and community have impacted my life, and now I am keen to focus on how a relationship with Jesus and how relationships with each other are critical to my personal well-being, as well as being a productive member of society. Christ and community are key parts of this podcast, and I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to hear how that has changed people's lives. There was one more outcome of my crash in 1999, and that's fairly important to this podcast as well. Because Christian music was so important to me and was such a part of my life, I didn't want to leave it behind. Now, music has always been and continues to be the soundtrack of my life. So for me to stay involved in the music business, so to speak, I started a website called the Christian Music Archive, where I started tracking the artists and the albums that they make. I've always been a liner note reader, so I also started tracking the musicians involved in making all of this music. So, for the past 20 years, the website has continued to grow and now has over 10,000 albums listed from nearly 2,000 artists. A couple of years back, we also started a prayer newsletter where we highlight different artists and encourage fans to lift them and their ministries to the Lord in prayer. The Christian Music Archive has been therapeutic for me but also a fun way to see how music impacts so much of our world. So now, as an outgrowth of that website, I've decided to start talking with some of my favorite musicians about their careers in music, but also about the way Christ and community have helped form them into the people they are today. And I decided, I bet you people would enjoy hearing about these stories too. So in August, I'm going to start sharing these conversations through the new Christian Music Archive podcast. I'm excited for you to hear their stories. Some of these exchanges are trips down memory lane. Others are stories centered around the way community is a critical part of health. But overall, each conversation points to the faithfulness and love of Jesus in our lives, in our careers, and in music. So, there you have it. This is the beginning of the Christian Music Archive podcast. I hope this helps you understand why I'm starting this venture, and maybe entices you that you'd want to join me in these conversations. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast wherever you can listen to it, on iTunes or on Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to those. Of course, you can always stop by my website, thechristianmusicarchive.com slash podcast, and I'll be posting all of the episodes there too. 
And if you might be interested in getting involved in this venture, I invite you to visit my Patreon website where you can help me write questions for the artists. You'll also be able to hear the podcast before it's released to the public, and even get access to the Aftercast, additional stories that didn't quite fit into the public version of the show. As a side effect, by joining me on Patreon, you also help pay for the production costs. Now, do not feel obligated to join and pay. That's not what this is all about. But if this is something that resonates with you, you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash ccmexchange, and I'll include that link in the liner notes to this podcast. Finally, I'd love to connect with you on all of my social sites. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for me at CCM Exchange. So, I guess you're still here listening, huh? You've made it to the end of my story, or is that to the beginning of this next chapter in my life? I'd like to invite you to be part of this community, the community to talk about how Christ makes a difference in our lives, to talk about the music we love, and yes, to talk about being in community with one another. We're going to start broadcasting these episodes in August, so I invite you to check back then and see these released on a weekly basis. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for spending time listening to my story, and I hope that I get to see you back here in August. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>